Hi, you're listening to Tales from the Jungle, Living with Addiction. This is a podcast written and produced by a mom of an addict, specifically for other families who live with and or interact with an addicted family member. Welcome back, Jungle fans. I have a special guest with me today. Her name is Angel, and I am so excited that she's here to share her story with us. Hi, Angel. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored and very excited. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for participating in this interview and sharing your personal story with us. It's so important, and, and I'm so glad that you were able to do this with us. Um, I thought it'd be really good for the listeners to hear the other side, so to speak. Um, While most of us usually um, hear the surface of what addicts go through, we also hear it through our own lenses of hurt and past experiences. And with this interview, um, I'd like to go deeper, starting with what drew you, Angel, into that world, and then the obstacles you faced when trying to recover. So... um, Let's start with your childhood. Um, I know you and I talked briefly before this interview, and you mentioned that your dad was an alcoholic. Um, That's correct, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, So can you tell me some of what it was like for you before he was recovering and then after his recovery started? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So the very first memory that I have as a child um, was I was four and my sister was three. My mother had left my father because um, of his drinking. And so when she left him, she took my sister and I, and I'm from Daytona, but she took us from Daytona and she came to Tampa where her brother lived. And the very first memory that I have is uh, being across the street at a friend's house playing and that my friend's mom grabbing me and my sister and just like running us across the street to my mom. And I see my mom come flying off of the porch running towards us. And this big black car that I had never seen before came squealing the tires around the corner and all four doors opened and it was my dad and his four brothers and um, they, you know, violently and physically um, took, they kidnapped basically for lack of a better term, my sister and I um, from my mother and we oh wow yeah um that had to be really scary um it it was um i it was i don't have a lot of childhood memories um the ones that i do have are similar to that like really traumatic i do know that <clears throat> 
<clears throat> excuse me, after that, um, you know, we, my dad kind of had us staying at different places because he had a really big family, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, you know, the long and short of it basically was that my mom stayed home and raised my sister and I. My dad worked. He was, you know, self-employed and he was very successful. He had money. <clears throat> my mother can, didn't. Um, can I stop you for one second? Yeah. Can I stop you for one second? Um, so you said your dad kidnapped you, but now it sounds like they were raising you together. So... I'm a little confused. Um, <clears throat> how was that? So they were together until, and they were raising us together. They were married until I was four and my sister was three. <clears throat> but my dad was, you know, an alcoholic that whole entire time. Mm -hmm. And, right. you know, my mom just got you know, really just sick of living that life of living with an alcoholic. And so she left him. But when she left him, she took us with her. And right. And then he kidnapped you. Right. And so did you live permanently with him after that? Right. So he kind of like, um, like I said, uh, moved us from place to place, like within his family. Because my mom didn't know where we were. I don't know how long this went on. But, um, right. you know, I, I think like maybe like six months or something. And when they went to court, they were given joint custody. But my father had primary custody. which So we lived with him um, throughout the school year. And uh, my mom basically had like unlimited visitation. Um, but she stayed in Tampa and wasn't really, you know, she came over maybe um, like once a month or something. Um, but when she came over to visit us, she kind of went out, you know, like to the bars or hung out with her friends or whatever. And, um, you know, didn't really spend a lot of time with us. And my dad was still right. drinking at that time. Um, he was drinking until he finally um, quit drinking when I was 15. So it was a very volatile, um, you know, household. I, you know, I remember my sister and I would hear his truck turning on the street, you know, when he was coming home and we would just like scatter throughout the house to make sure, you know, the dishes were done and the house was clean. And, you know, every, it, it was just constantly like walking on eggshells. Um, never knew what kind of mood he was going to be right. in. Because, um, you know, that's the whole and the unpredictability of the whole thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know. so what made him, how did come he all of a sudden decided to get sober when you were 15? Um, so, I mean, I know that he had, um, got several DUIs like throughout the years or whatever. Um, but he was a very successful, um, business owner. So, he was able to kind of, you know, just like get lucky with the system or, you know, had money and always had good attorneys. And um, he had an accident at work 
Um, and well, actually the accident was about six months into him getting clean. And I don't remember like what the exact event was. Um, I think that it was his birthday and he had been, you know, drinking all day and was with the neighbors. And I remember him trying to come home at, you know, really late at night, couple, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning. And me and my sister were scared and had locked him out of the house. And so he couldn't get in the house that night. Um, I don't know if he slept in his truck, if he slept with the neighbor, um, you know, at their house or what, but, um, that was the last time that he drank, um, you know, so it was. Oh, so do you think that you guys locking him out of the house had something to do with his desire to get, get sober? Um, I mean, I think so. And then there was just, you know, so many things over the years, you know, just the insanity that comes with that kind of lifestyle. And I believe that he knew that he had a problem. Uh, You know, he just, uh, I don't think that he was ready or willing, you know, to quit up until that point. I, I don't know to this day, like what it was that was, like, I know what my reason was when my reason came, um, but I don't know exactly right. what it was for him. Um, so, well, however. Let's talk some about. Oh, no. Sorry, go, go ahead. I was going to say, so So let's talk some about about your journey and, and how everything happened for you. First of all, what was your drug of choice? My drug of choice um, was opiates, mainly Dilaudid, and uh, heroin. And how did you get started on it? Um, So, looking back, I know now that when I was 18, even though I only drank on the weekends, I remember being 18 years old and knowing that I was an alcoholic. But I was like, I'm not even old enough to drink yet. I definitely can't tell somebody that I'm alcoholic, you know, (laughs) and I don't want to quit drinking. I got my, you know, a DUI. But you were. Before I was even 21. So you were willing to admit that you were, you were an alcoholic even at that early stage? Because a lot of times people don't. I was. Oh, but to everyone else, you said you didn't have a problem. Right. I mean, yeah. And, and I functioned, you know what I mean? Like I was a single mom. I had a really good job. Um, you know, I paid all of my bills at that point. I was a functioning alcoholic, but when I would go out and drink, it was always a blackout drunk. Um, I wouldn't remember anything. And by that point, my dad had been in recovery for almost three years. So I knew enough to know that um, I was an alcoholic, but I definitely wasn't going to say that out loud to anybody, Um, you know, (laughs) and plus I thought, yeah, because I had grown up around this and I knew this, like, you know, I could, I could control it. Um, 
you know, that I was somehow different. So you said that you had a you said you had a child at 18. How old were you I when you had your first child? I was 16 when I got pregnant and I had just turned 17 when I had her. So even though my dad, okay, okay. Pregnant, and when I, when he was 15, the damage of growing up and in, in that lifestyle was, you know, it was already there. So by the time he got clean and sober at 15, I was, wild <laughs> you know I was running away and uh, okay you know um, and you weren't married or anything then no um uh, did you get married did you get married at all um years later but um I was engaged to my daughter's father okay. my first daughter um but he unfortunately passed away from um an accidental overdose and uh when my daughter oh was wow born, Mm-hmm. Um, when, she, when she was how old? Four. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, oh. I only drank, um, you know what I mean, until when I was 24, I got married. And, um, you know, I didn't use then. I still, you know, would go out one night a week and drink, but I didn't use Um, however, how old were you when you started? So I was, what happened was I, it wasn't, so I was married. He, I found out, um, started using drugs. My daughter's father had just recently, maybe two years before that passed away from a drug overdose. So I was like, Oh, this is not going to work. You're not going to be around my child. And I'm not inviting this into my life. Well, there were a lot of things about him that I didn't know. So was he, so was he an addict when you met him, but you didn't um, know? I did not. No, not that, not that I knew. No. Um, but about a year and a half into it, um, I, I could note, I, I started noticing things and I'm like, you know, I think you're using. And so it came out that he was, and very quickly within like, um, two months, I sold my house and filed for divorce and I moved into a townhome. Well, he went really off the deep end then. And long story short, he, um, now he had never been ever physically violent with me at all. You know, he verbally, you know, abusive, but never physically. And, uh, he broke into my house in the middle of the night one night when I wasn't there. And, uh, when I went home, yeah, when I went home the next morning, it was in 2004 when all the hurricanes came through back to back in Florida. And, uh, I Mm -hmm. was just opening my door because I had pictures and paperwork that was right there that I was just grabbing and I was going to stay at my dad's house. And when I opened the door, um, he was standing in my house and the, I can see it like right now to this day, I remember exactly what he was wearing and the look in his eyes. And, um, I don't remember being hit one time. Um, but he 
beat me up uh, to the point I was in a coma for a week. I was in the hospital for oh, a month. Oh, wow. I had um, bleeding and swelling in my brain. And you I weren't had... using it all during. You... No. Not at all. Nope. Okay. Not at all. Okay. And um, so after a month in the hospital, and it would, you know, I, of course, had depression. I had extreme, really bad PTSD, anxiety. I couldn't sleep. I had six surgeries on, you know, my face. And so everything that was wrong with me, they gave me a oh. pill. Um, oh, you have anxiety? Okay, so we're going to give you a Xanax. Oh, you're and they didn't set you up with any, they didn't have you do any counseling? Oh, I did. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. They didn't have you do any counseling? I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. you know, I mean, I guess like looking back now, um, I did talk therapy after that for 15 years. Um, and I really got mm. no benefit from it. Um, so, but that's how my addiction started was because everything that was wrong with me, they gave me a pill for. And being that I believe, you know, addiction, you're predisposed to it. It runs in my family and, um, you know, right. tolerance built and built and built. And, um, you know, five years later, um, I was sticking a needle in my arm every day just to function. And, uh, you know. And why do you think that talk therapy, sorry, why do you think talk therapy wasn't working for you? Why, why do you think that? You weren't able to get anything out of that. Um, well, I think because at that time, um, I just, I wasn't open-minded to it. I wasn't willing to, I had the desire to stop using. I really, really did. Um, but I had no, absolutely no willingness to do anything about it. I wanted to stop using. Yes, the desire was there, but I wasn't willing to put the work in. Um, I thought that, you know, I wasn't as bad as the next person at that point. Oh, I hadn't lost my house. I still had my job. I didn't have a DCF case. I still had my children. I looked for the differences rather than looking at the similarities that you know, we need to look for, um, in a 12 step program among its members. Um, and, and can we break that down a little bit? Because it might be confusing to some people when you say had a willingness, I wanted to get sober, but, um, I wasn't willing to do the work for it. Mm -hmm. What, what is that exactly? Is it that you just kind of in your mind thought, Oh, maybe I should get sober, but it's too much work. I don't feel like doing that. Um, I know you were saying you were justifying because you weren't as bad as the next person. Right. But was there, did it take something more than that to get you to a point to say, yeah, I really do need to do the work. Oh yeah. Um, about 12 years of going in and out of the program. Um, you know, when I say the program, I mean a 12 step program. Um, and other people forcing me to do it, whether it was my family or like an outside intervention that maybe had something to do, um, 
you know, like with my children or like I got in trouble for driving on a suspended license. And so they, um, you know, it was through the courts. It was a criminal case. So they required me to do it. And so I did really well when it was outpatient and I only, and I knew it was only for like six to 12 weeks. And, uh, you know, I could do that. I could, I could get away with doing that. But what changed for me was after years of in and out, um, you know, it's a 12 step program, meaning you should work the steps. <laughs> you should get a sponsor. I didn't want right. to get a sponsor. Um, but I did. I just never called her and I never took any of this of the suggestions that she gave me. And I would look at the 12 steps and say, oh, well, I can do that one, but I definitely, I don't need to do that one. That doesn't apply to me. Or I'm not going to um, take pills anymore, but I'm still going to go to the doctor and I'm going to get these prescriptions and I'm going to sell them because I can make really good money off of them. It's like I tried every which way to do a 12-step program other than the way that it is suggested. And when I finally... Well, a, a quick question in this. Mm-hmm. A, a quick question that bring, comes to mind is that when you would go into, you were saying you were in and out of rehab for years and all of that. When you were going into rehab each time before you really got serious about it, did at the beginning when you went in, you were saying, oh, I can do it six weeks, I can do it eight weeks. Did you know that you were planning to stay sober? the whole time or did it just happen? Um, so I knew that if I didn't stay clean, like through those outpatient programs, that there would be consequences, which would either be jail or consequences with my children. And so I didn't want to face those consequences, but it was real. It was really, you knew that, it was, they, it was really, but you knew that you were going to go back and get high when you were done though. Right. Well, from the beginning? That, when I was there doing that, like, I really didn't think I did. I was like, okay, you know, like this was it this time. Like I've had enough. I really, I am done, man. Like I'm not going to hang out with these people. I'm not going to keep going to these doctors and getting these prescriptions and selling them. Like I true, because I really did. I really did not want to live that way. And I believed that that was it for me every time, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to do this anymore. But then I would get out. But then why was it? Yeah. And, and then, I mean, I would get out and the very first thing that I would do was go and get high Um, or hang around with the same people thinking that, oh, you know, um, I can hang out with them. They've been my friends my whole life. I'm not going to stop being friends with them. Um, And thinking like that I could, you know, hang out with people that are still using and not use, which is crazy. Like that, that doesn't work, you know, <laughs> at least in my experience, it doesn't yeah. work. Um, so, you know, but well, so we, we've, go ahead. Oh, I'm so sorry. We, we've actually gotten to a point where I need to end episode one, Okay, um, but we have so much more to talk about yes. and I'm, 
Um, I'm really excited to continue this because we're at such a good place. Um, I would like to give you something to think about starting into episode two. And that's um, when you talk about um, you really thought that you were going to do it and, and you were going to um, make it permanent this time. When you um, did you notice that when you were getting clean, um, however many times that you would start obsessing over thinking about the drugs? And don't answer this now. We're going to answer this when we come back. Um, but think about it. And um, if you would obsess over just the thought of it and every little thing would trigger you to start thinking about it again. So um, I'm going to stop here. But okay. Thank you. And I look back really forward to coming back with you shortly. Music is Riding the Dragon by Movie Theater. <laughs>